1: Fans make the network what it is. Thanks for listening, and we can't wait to hear from you. Find our listener survey at fableandfolly.com/survey today.
2: A product of the Whisper Forge. You're listening to a parody that is not affiliated with or endorsed by Supergiant Games in any way. We're just big ol' nerds making improv fanfiction. Rogue Runners is rated R for pretty much everything you can find in Greek mythology violence, assault, self harm, offensive language, insensitive humor, and intense themes. We encourage everyone to check out our show notes and transcripts on our website at whisperforge.org. Are you ready to run? Then welcome to Volume 1 in the Blood. First things first, Arete, make a survival check. Natural 20
3: plus my modifier, which is 8, so a 28.
2: You find yourself in the frozen wilderness of Greece, and you have been searching for your quarry for nearly a week now. You've been running low on food and provisions, but you've got a job to do, a job that will ensure your future and that of your families for many, many years to come. You wake up this morning, you see the beautiful Greek sun rising over the horizon, and you see it just barely melting, the hoarfrost on the cliffside, and your feet are still cold as they tread upon it, because, I don't know, You just didn't have really nice Greek shoes or whatever they had. And you begin your search for the day. Where do you go?
3: I would like to roll a perception check to see if I notice a trail of anything.
2: Sure, do it. Uh, A 21. 21. There seem to be footsteps fading in the snow, especially now that the sun is coming up. The snow is melting a little bit, so you need to catch this trail quickly. But you find along one long mountain trail, you see tiny, tiny steps quickly going up and then running back down. It's probably about a several days worth climb, you think. I'm running low on supplies. Um,
3: I'm going to go ahead and... uh investigate around me to see if there's any wildlife that I can uh, snatch up for a meal. Make a
2: survival check.
3: 21.
2: Pick any animal you want.
3: I am going to find a uh, dragon. So I've, I've...
2: <laughs> a mermaid. A gamer, girl, <laughs> a gamer
3: girl. A gamer girl?
2: <laughs> it's a joke. Get it? Gay mergirl.
3: <laughs>
2: oh. <laughs>
4: oh. So she's French. Uh.
3: Um, I'm going to say I found found a wild boar, and I am going to be sneaking up to slit its throat in the most
2: humane way possible. Your art is not often used to bring humane death upon anyone, but you do manage to bring it to bear upon this wild boar. It doesn't even see you coming. All right, I'm going to start
3: by skinning the boar. In case it gets any colder, I can... Rats hide about me. I'll think I'll take almost like a lamb shank style cut of the meat. Do I have a soup pot on me? Make
2: a history check. Hmm, 11. You would be able to fashion one out of other supplies that you brought. You had to travel very light for this mission. Mm -hmm. All right, I'm going to go
3: ahead and fashion some sort of cooking vessel out of the supplies that I have on me. And I'm gonna to start to take the snow and dump it into the cooking vessel for a source of water for the stew that I'm about to prepare. I then will take some of the wood from higher up because you don't want damp wood to start a fire. That's just not gonna work. So I start a fire with the wood, sorry
2: doing the, the rubbing of the twig. You find it exceptionally hard to do as the air gets colder and colder and Boreas bears down upon this mountain, sending its chills through your fingers, making it hard for them to move. You find it nearly impossible to cut open this boar. Its flesh seems thick and icy, the bone even more so. It takes you all of your strength to perform even the simplest tasks, but you do do it and you do get this fire starting for the night. Arete, make a survival check for me. 17. It is a brutally cold night, one you don't think you could survive much longer, but it is a new day and you are halfway up the mountain. What do you do? I will roll a perception check
3: to see what is around me, see if I notice uh, any new like developments in the trail,
2: and it's a 7. The trail seems to have gone, for lack of a better word, cold. Did I mention it is very, very cold up here? You feel a numbing sensation at the edges of your fingertips. It becomes hard for you to wiggle your individual fingers and toes, which is an important thing to be able to do for someone in your profession. You feel your age hitting you almost sooner than it should. And even though this trail seems to have gone cold, you are certain that what you need lies ahead. I'm going to push forward. I've come this far. I can't turn back now. That day it blizzards. Hail and snow are beating down on your face. It cakes your hair, your skin, your beard, your clothes. Everything seems to weigh about 10 pounds heavier. You take numerous cuts and bruises and small incisions just here and there, you know, incidental damage, but you don't even bleed because it's so cold that your wounds instantly freeze as you incur them. It is getting darker and darker by the hour. The snowstorm does not seem to be subsiding. Arete, make a survival check 14 you think you're not gonna make it your breath is becoming quicker and quicker and shallower and shallower as your body is doing everything it can to keep itself in survival mode and then just somehow in the darkness of the night you see a shape at the top of this mountain and you only see that shape because it has managed to somehow distinguish itself by the outline of snow on it. And in all this wind, in all this bluster, you see a small urn. I approach the urn. You approach the urn and you open it. And inside you hear a small cry. You have found Arete Lascaris. Constantine and Clima, you have made this climb up this mountain. Following a prophecy that whatever you found up here, nearly at the cost of your life, would assure the future of you and your family for many years to come. And now you are certain that you have it. And now that you have found this baby, Arete Lascaris, you hold the urn close to your chest and you begin the very long, very cold journey back down the mountain just a little bit warmer than the way you rose up. Oh, you really had us there in the first half. That was clever. That's why I kept saying, Arete, make a survival check. <laughs> I... <laughs> oh. I am giving Constantine and Clima and Arete Oscaris inspiration. All right, you all land outside the house of Hades, or I should say crash outside the house of Hades with a thud. <laughs> <laughs> The first thing that you notice is how cold the stone tile is against your hands and your feet. It is a place that is normally surrounded by roiling, boiling blood, but it is very cold here. As you start standing up, you see the other two Olympiads also fairly confused about the situation. <gasps> We're getting out of here, baby. Let's go! And Rolf walks 30 feet ahead and hopes to see a boon. Okay. There is a boon there. It, it appears to be a blue trident. Finally!
5: Yeah! I, uh, I, I don't know how this works. Um, I'm assuming this will, will help us all. Yes? Shall I accept it? I'm going to accept
1: it. The
2: other two Olympiads kind of look at it skeptically, and then Daphne says, Oh, hun, you can just have it. Don't worry about it. We'll figure something out. Okay.
1: (laughs) Thank you so
0: much.
2: Poseidon, I accept this message and i touch the orb you start to smell the sea and you are also awash with the sound of the sea washing all around you and then on what appears to be a massive whale you see a shadow of a man just up and down cresting and troughing along these waves distantly before riding up to you with a glorious trident and you hear a voice saying oh
0: this is disorienting all right I'm so used to talking to my good nephew through these things. Is this on, by the way? I sure do miss my little Hades. I hear he's awfully busy as of late. Taking over work for my good brother, Big Hades, I suppose. So... What am I supposed to call you? Wretched shades? Little Zagreus?es You just let Uncle Poseidon know.
5: Little, little Hades is fine. We're in desperate danger, Uncle Poseidon, please.
2: Well, he's helping you with that. So you have an option for a power boon, a survivability boon, and a utility boon. Roll a d20 for me. 11. Okay, that is a common rarity boon. What do we think?
3: Whatever gets us a fishing rod so we can catch that damn fish. Oh, yes. Alexander (laughs) is scoping hard for that fish. He's looking all around.
2: You get the sense that if you want the fishing rod, it would be a more permanent upgrade that you would get and it would be through the utility option. So like if you died, you wouldn't lose the fishing rod.
1: Y'all, as much as I want that fishing rod too, and I want that fishing rod, uh I I I I will say that if uh, catching the fish, we would have then taken it to the chef in the lounge and fingers crossed we're not going back there anytime soon of course it would be awesome to have fish here too and we could probably cook it and make it real nice arete it sounds like you well mate no you don't have skill sorry that's not you that was someone else in your flashback i don't even know i wasn't there i don't know what i'm talking about rolf could probably cook up something real nice for us but i was just gonna say you know i think maybe this time around we can go with survivability and when things are looking up for us which gosh i sure hope that soon Maybe we can then do a utility boot? A question mark? Oh!
2: Nausicaa says, perhaps you best figure that out on your own, but I just heard a massacre happening in the House of Hades, so I suspect we need to get going. We'll meet you on the other side, yes? And then her Olympiad starts rushing towards the gate while you guys figure out this boon situation.
1: Survivability!
2: Uh, Yeah, survivability sounds good. (laughs) Works for me! Very well.
1: Yay!
5: Uncle Poseidon, I accept
2: the gift of survivability.
0: That's a pity. I really had this really nice rod ready
2: for you, but sure. Ah! Oh,
3: I'll take your rod,
2: Poseidon. There is a
3: child present, Poseidon.
2: So you take the survive. it's a common survivability boon, and it is called the wave dash. <gasps> Hell yeah. When you take the dash action on your turn, you are engulfed in a repelling wave, adding plus two to your AC for that turn. <gasps> now, when I say repelling wave, what that means is if you take the dash action and you collide with someone, you can potentially push them away mm. because there will be these powerful ocean waves falling off. Here. Sick! Alright. All right, everybody, I, uh,
3: let us make haste, and Arete will follow after the
2: Olympiad. As you do that, you notice the other Olympiad, so Pandey, Adonis, Palaestra, and Ajax. They seem to be like midway on the platform, and they seem to be staring into the blood. I come to a screeching
3: halt when I see them just standing there, and I'm like, what's going
2: on? So Palaestra says, well, every time we used to pass by here, I always, you know, used to get a wink from this really cute fish. And I always thought I was going to catch it, but then, uh, then, uh, that happened. And she points out at the blood. And what you notice is that where always there is this roiling, boiling blood before, the blood all around you is ice. And you see a frozen carp just hanging out on a wave about, you know, 40 feet away from you. Yeah,
4: Alexander will poke it with his sword. Yeah, it seems to be solid ice. He's going to walk to the frozen carp.
2: So make a uh, flat dexterity check for me.
4: <laughs> Seven. Not critical. <laughs> it just looks like a one.
2: You get about 10 feet out towards the fish, and you feel the ice cracking below your feet pretty quickly. Ah!
4: Okay, I start running
2: back. Okay, you start running back, which makes even more cracks in the ice, and you have to kind of quickly jump back onto the platform. (gasps) As the ice cracks, and like, even though this ocean of blood was always red, now it's like black blood or blue blood, like the liquid underneath it just looks wrong. And you are recognizing that this is the coldest... You have ever been in your life, and you, and you, particularly Alexander, have you know traversed some pretty yeah. cold climbs. <laughs> so that's where you're at. Hmm. The big black bear bit the big black bug, and the
5: big black bear bled blue black blood.
3: Thank you for that, Ralph. <laughs> Are you okay? One day fish. Blue blood. I think that means we have an oxygen problem
1: down here, everyone.
3: I think that's what that means. The blood isn't oxidizing anymore. So if we all pump enough oxygen down to Tartarus, that should fix the problem.
1: You know what? That's not now. We gotta go. We gotta we gotta get out of here.
5: Uh other Olympiad. I don't I don't know if you have a name for yourselves. We call ourselves the A-Team. R. The A-Team with a little R. What? No we don't. Shh.
2: I'm trying something. Are you guys going to be okay? Adonis sniffles and he goes, I really don't do well in colder weather. And then Pende turns around you and she says, something is very clearly wrong here. We don't know what, but... um." Suppose we'll figure it out. And no, we don't really have a name for our Olympiad. Uh, the A team. I like that. Perhaps we should be. And then she quickly looks around at her Olympiad and takes stock of everybody's names. She goes, uh, uh, The AAPP team. Ah. And then Ajax goes, "The No, the Papa. The Papa, <laughs> and he he just says this with enough force, enough times, that everyone in the Olympiad just kind of acquiesces to being the Papa. It has now just been decided.
3: Uh, Ajax, I think you and I need to have a talk about coercion and consent at some point in time, but I think that's for
2: a later date. No, nah, man, good good a time as any. You wanna you wanna go? You wanna talk about it?
1: Uh, maybe right, maybe not right now, Papa. Uh, but we. Come on. I think it's time. I think we all...
2: I like it when she calls me that.
1: Oh, no! Hey, <laughs> okay, you know what, Rete? Pull him aside. Go have a conversation uh, right now. You're in timeout. That's disgusting. I think we got to go, though.
3: Yeah, let's uh, let's have our
2: chat as we uh, walk towards that gate over there, shall we? At this, Ajax is going to look at the gate, and he notices that the two Sculptivators that are always there have been kind of very handily done away with by the exiting Olympiad. And he says, are you guys going to try something weird again with jumping into the portal ahead of us? You could just go. No,
1: no, I, no, we're not going to do that. We're just, again, really sorry about that. Totally, ah, uh, just the wrong decision.
3: I think it was a it was a difficult situation because there was a we had to be so quiet and there seemed to be a lot of miscommunication back and forth at times. I mean, I've completely forgotten that somebody tried to push me out by my ass,
2: but you know, like Everything's
3: copacetic. (laughs) Copacetic.
2: All right, so Pante nods and she says, All right, I, I confess that I haven't actually figured out the mechanisms of how Tartarus works, but I've managed to put some things together, namely that it seems Megara or whoever is guarding this biome from the next appears to usually appear on the 14th chamber. So if you guys can just survive until then, you may have a better chance of making it into Asphodel. Just a thought.
3: You know, that is a great point. The advice is appreciated. Absolutely. <laughs>
2: and then Adonis says, I don't know how it works. Like if some of us go in there and other people go in there, like do we end up in the same room at the same time or do we get split up in different ways? We could always hold hands and walk through the portal to find out. Make a, a very hard history roll. Uh, that would be an eight, seven, ten.
1: Oh, you butt crack. That's an 11.
2: Okay. Well, thankfully, Palestra has something to say. She says, yeah, I don't think it's possible for us to just hold hands and run through all the rooms, but I was just thinking about something. You know, I heard a rumor that Lord Zagreus didn't actually go through the underworld alone. Isn't that weird? What?
1: What are you talking about?
2: Yeah, I heard this story that he had these um these little dolls with him that his friends gave him and when he was close enough with his friends, he could use those dolls to call his friends to help him in combat.
1: Okay, so like when you say dolls, do you mean like like, like dolls like uh, like dolls? Yeah,
2: like little like like little cute little animals. Like dolls or l- l- living little plushy thingies. They sounded really cute, but apparently when he was in a bind, he used to use them, and then his friends would show up and try to save him. I wish we had those. Then we could show up for each other.
3: Uh, Arete, didn't, doesn't your sword have some dolls on it? You mean this? And I uh, withdraw my aspect of Arete of Lavois um, and present it to... Polyester, is this what you mean?
2: There's a horrifying doll on it with needles stuck through it. And she looks at it and she goes, yeah, just like that. So I don't know how it works, but apparently when he, you know, built up a strong enough bond with his friends, he could call upon them and have them help him out in combat. I just think that would be really cool if we could help each other out. But I know we're not at that level yet. Should we have like
5: a sleepover
1: or something? Heart to heart, anyone?
2: Ajax says, hell yeah, I'm Uh, Dan."
1: No. No. Nope.
3: Maybe like a like a cookout. We all cook a meal together. Why don't we just cut
4: out the middleman? We don't need the doll. We just need the alliance.
2: How are we supposed to help you if we're stuck in different rooms?
4: Well, if the time comes and we meet again, hopefully things go smoother. And we, I apologize for the bad judgment call in our last encounter. But are we not more worried about
2: escaping? Yeah, I guess it is a race after all. We didn't come here to play Greece's next top best friend.
4: Uh, I would feel terrible if I had taken you from Elysium all the way back to Tartarus just to aid us in a simple scrap.
2: Well, again, I don't really know how it works. Those are just the stories, but I don't think it was that bad. It sounded more like a helpful thing, but it's okay. It's cool. I get that you're not into it. I just thought I'd, you know, put the vibe out there. You guys go on ahead and we will hop into the gate like the next time around. Go on.
3: Arete walks over to Adonis and he kind of like holds out the aspect of Arete Lavoie in his hand and he's like, Hold my hand. So,
2: again, true to Adonis' character, at the moment anytime anyone hands him anything, he goes, That And sneezes really hard onto your hand. It is covered in snot, it is juicy. He goes, Sorry. You really want me to hold that?
3: Yes, hold my hand. Hold hold it with me. I'm I'm testing a theory.
2: Okay. He puts out his hand and then he holds it and he goes, ow. Well, that's a bust, but it's nice to hold your hand anyway, Adonis. He seems redder than normal, but you think he might just be running a high fever because it's very cold now? And he goes, okay
3: and uh, Arate will uh, put his hand down, and he looks at the doll, and he just kind of stares into its lifeless eyes for a moment.
5: I wish you all excellent luck, and I hope to see you on the surface, uh, and or a doll along the way, but um, I, I don't see much choice here other than just going through the portal, hold dude. Hold on.
3: Uh, one more, one more, one more test. And he goes back to Adonis and he's like, okay, now hold out your hand this time. Okay. Arete, having not kind of like wiped the snot from the initial sneeze off of, of Lavoie yet, places Lavoie in Adonis's open hand and steps back kind of quick as if he's expecting something to happen.
2: He's able to hold it. I mean, it's painful for him because it's meant to be held by somebody who can really handle all of these needles in the hilt. Like, it's clearly designed for somebody who is down for feeling pain all the time, which he's not despite being very sick. Uh, he says, So, um, are you giving me this? No, no I, I'm, I'm sorry.
3: I thought because the doll and we were talking about connections between people, I thought that maybe there was like a physical contact thing, but I guess it is really much more of an emotional thing. I mean, like I personally subscribe more to emotional connection over physical connect, or at least like the emotional, and like Arete is getting very kind of like flustered and his his cheeks have like this red tint to them as like he just keeps digging himself further in this hole as he is unable to like stop. And then Arete like finally, like while rambling, kinda of like snatches it back and kinda of walks behind the rest of the group. So kinda of Arete is kinda of hiding behind the rest of the Olympiad.
4: I tell Arete, say whatever you need to now, this may be the last time.
3: Adonis! Uh uh, uh Adonis. It, it has been a pleasure to to make your your acquaintance, uh, and uh I um
2: um um uh, uh. Everybody make a charisma saving throw.
5: I have a plus six and I got a 10. Are you kidding me?
2: A 30. Wait, did you really get a 30, Alexander? <laughs> oh, wow. I, I got
4: a 30.
1: What the <laughs> shit? And he got an 18.
2: Um, Arete rolled an eight. So everybody other than Alexander, Adonis is listening to this and he's kind of just like looking at the blood on his hands from the doll that Arete snatched out of it. Something about his big round eyes and the way he like nods and listens very very attentively is just adorable to you and you just want to hug him and hold him and kiss him and like just carry him with you in a little thimble forever and alexander you feel that impulse but you resist it everybody else feels it powerfully but adonis goes yeah, well, I hope this doesn't get infected. Uh, hang on one second. And then he reaches deep into his cloak and he pulls out a tiny little doll made of sticks and leaves that he's stitched together. He says, um, maybe we'll have better luck with this one. And he hands it to Arete.
3: And Arete uh, quickly wipes down his weapon and, and sheaths it back in on his waist and, with both hands very tenderly while staring into the big round eyes that he's come to very much like. He he takes the doll.
2: He beams as you take the doll. A lock of curly red hair falls just so as he lights up and he goes, Well, if this thing really works, you should try using it when you're in a bind and I don't know, maybe I'll hear it somehow. <sighs> Arete kinda <of> just sighs. <laughs> Almost swooning.
3: Yeah, yeah, Emma. Next time I'm I'm in a bind, you'll uh, you'll
2: be the first call I make. <laughs> Meanwhile, like seven foot tall Palaestra is standing directly next to both of you two, and the whole time her face is just it's like it's like you know like the the, the Chris Pratt like oh <laughs> face like she's just doing that, but she's like so thrilled.
3: And like Areté does finger guns for no reason, and then he like he put quickly puts his
2: hands down and I'm like stupid stupid. Body. Ajax is gonna speak up, and he's gonna say, um, th- hey, girl, uh. Uh, a- a- Alexandra? Allie?
1: Annie's gonna look at Ajax and then like look behind her?
2: Allie, right?
1: I know you're not talking to me.
2: Listen, can can, can, I, can I sidebar with you for a second?
1: I don't know. Can you?
2: Yeah, that's what I'm asking. Can, just like a real quick sidebar.
1: And Annie's gonna look to like the rest of her group. She's gonna whisper to Rolf and be like, just have a lookout for me, okay?
4: Rolf pulls out a little crossbow bolt and licks it.
1: Okay, I'm gonna take that as a yes. Okay, thanks, Rolf.
3: It may be an olive branch. Just stay open.
1: Uh, I don't
2: like that turn of phrase, Alexander.
1: <laughs> me neither. Sure, Ajax. <laughs>
2: All right, cool. Let's just do a little uh, touch base over here. He, like, hikes his knees up doing, like, a little march 20 feet to the left.
1: Okay. I, I'm i gonna walk normally over. <laughs> uh,
2: so listen, um... I'm really big on working out, okay? I'm really big on self-improvement, you know, and pushing through things that are hard and difficult, you know, to grow better, right? Get bigger, right? But 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 that also means, you know, working through like the discomfort of like personal relationships sometimes, you know? So so he, so oh god, here alright, here's what I'm trying to say. I've been a royal asshole sometimes. A lot of times, and I can't promise that I'm not gonna be a royal asshole all the time. That's just who I am, and I'm working on it. And um, I was really a dick to you and your friends before, and uh, I don't know, sometimes it's like you guys really deserve it, but but, uh, we're all in this thing together, at least until we're not. So, anyway, I I'm sorry. And that will get easier to say with time. It's like it's like it's like your first deadlift, alright? It's like it's you, you just gotta here, can you can you take this? And then he reaches behind a plate of his armor and he pulls out a nectar for you. <gasps>
1: mm-hmm. Are you trying to like bribe me?
2: Why does everybody in Olympus say that when you hand them a nectar?
1: Well because it's allowed, Ajax. I mean obviously I'll take it. This is fun. thank you, but I'm just asking, like, is this your are you trying to buy my friendship or my forgiveness?
2: Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay,
1: well, see, that just takes everything you just said. Oh, well,
2: okay, hold on. Hang on a minute. I buy lots of things that I sincerely want and like. Nobody's ever given me a playbook for this man, alright? I just thought it would be a nice thing to do. But if it's not, I'm sorry. No, no,
1: no, no, no. I completely understand. I hate if I have the means. I love to buy things that I like as well, as we all do. I just want to let you know that... This is how that kind of gesture might come off.
2: Annie. Mm-mm. Annie. Annie he, he kind of just like smacks his forehead a couple of times.
1: All right. Well, don't lose any more brain cells, okay? There's only so many. So, look, I'm Annie. I'm dead, but I'm a person. I'm not a god. You don't have to try and bribe me with nectar or things or it's very nice gesture. I do love this. So, I'm I'm going to keep this. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. But Yeah, I just wanna let you know. The fact that you're big on self-improvement, I mean, clearly, you know, yeah, you got the muscles, good for you. But a mental sort of emotional, that kind of capacity, it's a beautiful thing that you're trying to be better. And I know it's incredibly hard. So that makes it mean even more to me. So genuinely, Ajax, thank you. Thank you for that. And uh, I do forgive you. And hopefully from here on out, we can be on better terms. And I, hey, hey. Don't get me wrong, I know we can all my Olympiad and I'm sure I don't I don't I fall into it too sometimes. We can all be kind of jerks. You you can be a jerk too. You already addressed that. But we're all trying to be better and I appreciate it. So thank you. I forgive you. Keeping the nectar. Thanks. Um, yeah. Good on you. And if hey, if you ever want to talk through something or I, I do I do I do like helping in that area.
0: So
2: are we good?
1: Um Ajax, see, okay, just another note, really quick saying things like that also kind of like ruin the moment.
2: Look, I know you're like big on words and I'm really big on actions and I'm just trying to meet you halfway here. So I'm trying to give you the words, but I'm also trying to give you the action. So I know I, what I'm trying to say is I know the action doesn't mean as much to you, but it means a lot to me that I also do the action because to me, words don't mean that much. And But even though, even though I know they mean a lot to you, I was just trying to also pair it with an action that wasn't something gross or offensive, and I had to go through a long list of those, and Pandey and Palestra shot every single one of them down, and this is where we landed.
1: No, you know what? You're so right. You're so right. I like a good halfway point. This is very kind. The fact that you even went out of your way to talk to Palestra and Pandey is really nice, so.
2: Oh, they, they, they made sure to talk to me. All right, cool. Well, uh, I was going to say bring it in, but instead, um, here. And he holds out his fist to bump.
1: Do, like, the high-five motion so she just, like, smacks it, like, boom.
2: Cool, 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 cool. All right, all right I got to do... Uh, I got to do one more of these. Hang on. And then he turns around and says, ate Arete! 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 There you go. You got it. You got it. And you see Pandey and Palaestra glowering at him as if, like, they are not going to go through that gate until he says what he has to say. And he goes, I'm sorry for calling you a sissy boy. I don't even know what that means. I've been known to avail myself of a sissy boy every now Okay, that doesn't matter. All right, just, just, uh, all right. I'm, I'm really sorry, all right? Not everybody likes being called that. I get it. And if you, if you, I don't know, you need to like work out every now and then and kind of work on that gangly ass frame of yours. Just hit up your boy.
4: We will indeed hit up your boy.
2: All right, so we're
3: cool. Um, uh, yeah, 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 we're,
2: we're cool. He beams at this as if the words we are cool are the only things he needs to hear to believe that everything is fine. All of his social relationships in his life, as soon as he hears We're cool. He's like, he doesn't think about it again. So now he's like, hell yeah. All right. So who's going in that gate? Yes.
4: I fear the other Olympiad has left us now.
5: I wouldn't be surprised if they're halfway to
2: Asphodel by now. Yeah. They're like weirdly close.
1: What do you mean by that?
2: Oh, I mean, I don't know. Just don't they freak you out? They're like, they don't even have the cool shit we do, like infernal arms and shit. And they're just like, I don't know. They're just like farming Elysium. Adonis speaks up and he says actually I don't know it's not unsettling but like they're friendly I've met them and they're nice and everything but underneath all that niceness there's something really intense like I think they are close like I think um I think there's they have a really strong reason for wanting to get out of here I wish I did Well this is ominous
1: <laughs> Well I think it's a kind of a sweet thing that they're really connected in that way where they can try and get out together and clearly they work really well together the team. I'm sure they listen to each other and they communicate very well.
2: Panday says, so what drives you all to leave?
1: <coughs> like this moment right now or just like... You
2: hear shouts and screams from inside the house of Hades.
1: Oh, you know. Oh, that's a good one there. <laughs> I
2: believe those are the cries of the damned.
1: I would love to have this conversation but if you all, maybe, if, maybe, we, sh- maybe we should get going? Maybe?
2: Hmm. Perhaps you're right. There never does seem to be a good time for this bonding business.
3: In a in a quick turn of phrase, uh, I am seeking revenge on the person that murdered me. Uh, there you go.
5: I have to finish a job.
1: Oh, um, I died pretty young and I didn't really get to do much. And I would like to go back and finish what I haven't started.
2: Pente nods and she draws her axe and she actually stands facing the House of Hades. It's just, well, that has been quite the bonding exercise. Run on ahead. We'll cover you from the rear. Thank you! Don't die. You see a symbol that we would all recognize, but no one in the game would recognize. And that is a symbol of a metal gear. Like the settings symbol. You see that strange symbol that you definitely could not possibly recognize.
5: Everyone, look at this. Let's go turn the difficulty down. Okay, yeah, you touch it, the gate
2: slides up, and there is a black portal in front of you.
3: All right, tally-ho! And he jumps in. Arete approaches the portal, and before entering, he turns back and just... One last look at Adonis.
2: He catches your gaze, so he did not think you were gonna look back at the same time he was looking at you, so he quickly looks away.
3: And Arete blushes, turns back to the portal, squeezes and holds the doll just a little bit tighter and jumps through the portal.
1: Annie's gonna turn to Alex and be like, don't don't think that you're off the hook, but I wanna know what drives you to get out of here. That's right. You thought I wouldn't catch that, you sneaky little goose? I caught it. Ah, but I'm not going to force you to do that right now because I know how, I, I, I know, we just got on good terms and I don't want to poke the bear, you big lug, as she pokes him and then jumps into the portal.
4: <laughs> Alexander runs to the portal and looks at the fish and the frozen ice.
2: Alexander, you kind of crane your neck as you're running into the portal to get that last look at the fish and you see something you would never expect to see in Tartarus. It's snowing. You find yourself in a room unlike any you've seen in Tartarus. The floors and walls are lined with sleek white marble tile and the room is filled with treasures surpassing your wildest imagination. Now when I say treasures, surpassing your wildest imagination. I say that specifically because these are not gold gems and, you know, treasure chests, things like that. These are items that you clearly understand to be precious, but have never seen in your life. These items all sit on pedestals and on walls and are presented in crystal cases as if in a museum. The room seems to be curated with machines and technologies far beyond your time period. You see four large circles on the ground appear, blue circles, with blue holographic shields whirling around them. Around one circle, you see one blue shield spinning around it slowly. Another circle, a little farther away, has two blue holographic shields floating around it. The third circle has three holographic shields floating around it. And a fourth has four shields floating around it.
1: What are we thinking? How are we feeling? What are we, uh?
2: Rolf is like buried in his little journal and he is conducting an investigation. Okay, what are you investigating and how?
5: I think he's going to walk around without actually touching any of the shields, but more so to see
2: if, like, by its design or placement, if he can kind of infer its function or purpose. Sure. I will say, because this technology is so unusual to you, it is a fairly high DC if you want to add anything to it or get help somehow.
5: What, what do you all
3: think? I don't I, I rolled almost as high as I can. That's a 22. Rete comes over, and he's like, oh, Rolf, you were holding your notebook upside down and he turns it the right way to help with the helping action.
5: Yes, I suppose I was. And Rolf actually rolls lower, so he says, no, wait, I wasn't and turns it back.
2: Okay, so it's at 22. Can you tell me again what were the things that you were trying to find out about it specifically? It's purpose or function. Purpose
5: as in why it's here, function as in what will happen if we touch it.
2: So the purpose you glean from it is calibration and the function, what happens when you go inside it, is uh, nothing bad. So when you go inside it, you may somehow be affected by the symbols that are whirling around it. Well, it appears
3: there's one for each of us.
5: So here's my understanding of this, right? I think we're in some sort of calibration room, something like that, right? Uh Perhaps used by the higher-ups in Tartarus to kind of scale the challenge ahead of us the question is what is preferable one shield does that mean that you only need one shield and your life will be easier three shields does that mean that you have more shields and therefore uh, are more
2: protected that, I don't know. Based on what you've investigated, you sense that you could step into and out of it without issue.
5: Um, but you know how I like to investigate things? Field study, and Rolf steps into the one with three shields.
2: When you step into the one with three shields, Rolf, you feel that only for the amount of time that you were standing in that circle, and there's enough room for multiple people to stand in the circle. While you were standing in that circle, your AC increases by three. Yes. 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 And the moment you step out of the circle just to test it, that AC bonus goes away. Getting in the circles makes me feel more
5: protected and safe, like I'm wrapped in a warm skin. I would
2: recommend we hop into the one with the most shields possible. As you say this, you see a large mechanical construct appear in the middle of the room. Oh no! It is a construct with what appears to be like a giant lens shaped like a monocle. And the construct, begins speaking and it says
0: the atelier is open to invitees only initiating guest verification protocol now verifying guests whose defenses align with primes
2: and then its lens begins searching around the room everybody roll initiative
3: does anyone know what prime is that's a 19 for roll I'm
1: thinking of like prime numbers I'm not sure though
3: Uh, Arete rolled a 21 for initiative
1: Annie rolled a 22 no
2: 12 it is Annie's turn
1: I think our AC has to be a prime number so Annie's gonna step into the circle with one shield okay
2: what does your AC pick up
1: 13 which is a prime number, right?
2: Arete, it is your turn. Okay, uh, Arete steps into,
3: uh, Oh God, do I remember what prime numbers are? Uh, okay, Arete's gonna step into the, the the four shield circle. My AC becomes 17.
2: Okay, Rolf, it is your turn.
3: I will step into the same one as Annie, bringing
2: my AC up to 13. Alexander, it is your turn. I'm gonna
4: scooch in nice and cozy
2: with Arete, the four shields. Okay, what does that make your AC? 23.
5: Annie, I hope we don't die together here. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that goes without...
2: Now it is the construct's
0: turn, and it says executing verification protocol.
2: And the lens sweeps around the room. As it passes over each of you, you feel this like cold glow of light on you, and it feels like it's getting this reading of your heart rate, your height, your weight, all of these things like inside of you. It's just like picking up all of this information that like your balance of humors you might believe like, you know, whatever.
3: Does anybody want to watch me do a scan
2: in the med bay, please? And then finally that lens turns green and nothing happens. Then it says, now verifying
0: guests whose vitals align with values divisible by three.
2: We love to see it. The circles underneath you vanish and new circles appear. And these circles all have green holographic hearts around them. So you see a circle with one heart, a circle with two hearts, a circle with three hearts, a circle with four hearts. Rolf is
5: going to stay exactly where he is, bringing his maximum HP up to 45.
1: Annie's gonna stay exactly where she is in the ones to bring her max HP to 63.
3: Arete will move to the single heart circle, bringing him to a max HP of 33.
2: Jesus.
4: Okay, I'm stepping into one with four. It is 50, it becomes 54.
2: It is now the construct's turn. It goes through all the different circles and then its lens turns green
0: now verifying guests whose initiatives align with values divisible by five.
2: The circles underneath you vanish, but you see two circles only, and one of them has one mechanical holographic Gundam wing circling around it, and then a second one has two of those wings circling around it.
1: No, 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 wait, okay. Oh, no.
2: What do you know what that
5: means? It's going to increase your initiative modifier, but...
1: I don't know if it's increasing the modifier or if it's increasing the initiative that I originally rolled. Regardless, whichever one I pick...
2: Make an intelligence check.
1: Oh, that's a five.
2: Well, that's divisible by five, but it doesn't tell you what you're hoping to find out. Does anybody else want to try to intuit what that means? Rolf is smart, and he rolls a 13. Okay, so what you've noticed from the past is that it's always been your total HP... And your total AC. So if you're being called for initiative, it may likely be total. Arete will
3: step into the circle with the one wing. Putting you at 22 initiative? Putting me at 22 initiative. What was it before? 21. Oh, so it is our role. <laughs> I'm still fucked.
1: <laughs> yeah, me too. Okay.
5: Rolf is going into the one wing, bringing his initiative up to 20.
1: Yeah, you're good. Good for you. Whoa. Yeah. Annie's going to sigh, just like she already did. And she's going to step into the one with the two. And she's just going to sit there and wait. Which brings her to a 24. Okay.
2: Is there there no bonus we can... Does anyone have... I guess I'm the magic man. People certainly do have things they can do to modify initiative. Mm,
4: May I have some, sir?
3: Please, sir. May I have some initiative? It's not (laughs) me, is it? I don't remember having something. Is
1: it me, is it Song of Passion?
3: I seem to remember you having something to do with that Annie, but I can't remember. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's true, okay, but, okay, wait. Because, Arate, you're good, yeah? No, Rolf is good. Yeah. You're not good. Alex, are you good?
4: Anastasia, my initiative is zero, and I rolled a 12.
1: So, no. You're not good. That is correct. Okay, Annie's gonna whip out her veal. She's gonna use Song of Passion. She's gonna play a nice little, uh, little rich tune, and use it on Arete, herself and Alex to hopefully boost us the right amount to survive this. And she's gonna roll a D eight right now. Not a four. Not a <laughs> four. <laughs> so uh,
0: Annie's now at a twenty six.
3: Uh, Arete would like to step outside of the circle and not be in any of the circles. Is that possible?
2: Yeah, so that puts you at 25 outside the circle? Correct. Yeah, you step outside of it at 25. Thanks for the inspiration there. Alexander, what does your initiative become?
4: Now it's at 16, so... Can I have some alcohol to maybe lower my initiative by one or something?
1: I'm going to stab Alex in the thigh.
2: I don't think that helps. (laughs) So make a perception check. Okay. Annie and Alex. Four...
1: Oh my, butthole, hole five.
2: Okay, you get the sense that there may actually be a mechanism in this room that gets you to the number that you want, but you just didn't notice it.
1: (laughs) Well, now I'm upset.
2: Rolf. The camera zooms into Rolf's face
5: and you see numbers and equations fly by, like uh, the white lady doing math. (laughs) as
2: he attempts to percept the room. What you pick up is that you can press your foot over a series of runes around the circle and the wings will turn red.
5: Hey, dummies, this can lower your initiative too. Go into the other circle and kick
2: it. But here's the thing that's notable. The raising or lowering effect applies uniformly to that circle.
5: Yeah. Yeah. Go into the two wing and lower. Oh, Oh,
4: no. I need the one wing.
3: All right. Take it. No. Wait, 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 wait. wait, 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 wait. Does it matter? Would... Do they have to take the bardic inspiration? Does the negative two work better for you if you guys don't take the inspiration?
1: Yeah.
4: Must I be inspired?
2: You don't have to be. Uh,
3: All right, and then I can make a negative two happen.
1: But who's standing in the one?
3: I am. I am gonna take the inspiration, and if you two don't take the inspiration and step into the negative two, Annie, you'll be at 20, and Alexander, you'll be at 10 and those are both divisible by five. Yes, that is math. I really must thank you, Floating Eyeball, for your patience. The
2: lens seems to have been malfunctioning for, like, 20 minutes. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's I'm sorry. running again. It activates the scan. It goes around the whole room and the lens turns green, and then it says,
0: Welcome to the Atelier.
2: It powers down, its chest opens up, and you see a glowing crystal orb with a gear turning inside it. Anybody uh, wanna go poke that? Hold
5: up, does
3: anyone
2: know what Atelier is? Yes! So an Atelier is like a workspace or a studio.
5: I would like to roll an investigation
2: on the crystal. What are you trying to investigate about the crystal? The hell does it do? It seems to operate much like a deity boon. Ah! Rolls. What it do?
5: Uh, It's a 17, but what it do is a boon, baby. (laughs)
2: and he
1: ignores everyone else and just wants to touch
2: it. You've been very cold all this time, but when you touch this gear, the room suddenly feels very hot. You hear a volcano erupting somewhere, but you don't know where it is, but the room is hot and red and you smell brimstone suddenly. And then you see in the distance, this silhouette seeming to pound away at an anvil.
0: And the voice says to you, Tell me wretches. Have you grievance with the gods? Yes. Hephaestus,
2: is that you?
1: (laughs) Bet your sweet ass.
2: Even in the silhouette, you can tell he's got a sweet ass.
0: He says, it matters not. You have wandered into my subterrane, and here I shall allow you to make use of my tools. Tools which have made gods. Tools which have unmade gods. When you bring your arms to bear upon your enemies, may you remember that it is with the blessing of Hephaestus that your blows find their
2: mark. At this, unlike previous boons, which have been power, survivability, and utility, what happens here is that you see different stations in the atelier rising up mechanically, and then you see these holographic interfaces around them that you can interact with. So, there is a high tech forge that you can choose. There is an armory, and there is an alchemy station. And roll a d20. <laughs> Damn it! Oh my god, Annie. Hephaestus <laughs> <just> kills you. <laughs> what did you get? I got a one. <laughs> okay, so that's a common rarity boot. Basically, the way this works is you all feel inspired with the brilliance of Hephaestus, and you are going to work at this station to get your boot. So you can work at the forge, at the armory, or at the alchemy station.
3: And we are working as a group, right? Yes, you're doing it as a group. Oh, okay. May I inquire
5: what we would presume the alchemy station would do? Like, I'm assuming it's not a potion, right?
2: There are potions there, for sure. But it's not like the boot is you get a potion. It seems like there is a highly technological element to what you're going to do at this alchemy station. Listen,
5: I, I dig being harder to hit. I would vouch for alchemy because I'm just curious but I know no one else is going to go for it. So if I have to pick between the
3: other two, being harder to hit is always nice. I'm interested in alchemy. Mm. Who doesn't love a little little alchemy? You know what? I'm assuming that is his utility, and
4: I would think that Hephaestus would be best for utility. Oh. So I would be inclined to go with alchemy as well.
1: Whoa. I mean, I was ready to join up for, like, the armor stuff but I'm can. i fine with alchemy as well. It feels like a little bit of a gamble, but I I don't know. It's thrilling. All right. So all of you are kind of
2: inspired with this brilliance of Hephaestus, and you seem to be working in this flow state. Like, you're not even completely aware of what you're doing. It's as if just knowledge is flowing through you, and your body is just following the motions because you just already know how to do these things. And it is an alchemy station like you have never seen before. So there are these um, really strange-shaped, like, vials and beakers... glasses you know that you would find in say a laboratory thousands of years in the future and you were implementing tools like a tool that can create a flame in an instant to heat up under an element and you have these little machines called centrifuges where you can essentially put things in these files and then agitate and solidify them inside them so you've been working on this for a while and then as a group you all create this new piece of technology And it is a disc with a needle inside of it, but the needle is retracted for the moment and you all implant the discs right over your heart. It is called the Adrenaline Auto-Injector. Ooh. So the way the Adrenaline Auto-Injector works is that when you would die, you are instead healed for 40 hit points as the Adrenaline Auto-Injector stabs into you. And that does not use up your death defiance. Yes. And it only works once but that is the technology that you made in the Adelgay of Hephaestus.
4: Wait, so that's double come back to life?
2: Double come back to life once, and then your regular Death Defiance you have in every room, right? It's a disposable
4: second life. But you You could use death defiance and then die and then this would bring you back again?
2: This will activate before your death defiance. So the first time you were reduced to zero hit points you will be brought back up to 40 hit points and standing. And then if we die again
3: in that same room you can also activate death defiance. Whoa. Not a bad pick. Before you go Hephaestus if you're still in the room How's the wife?
2: You hear a dark chuckle as the heat fades away and the smell of brimstone passes, and you are once again in the sleek white atelier. Furthermore, you see two mechanical sliding doors on opposite ends of the room. One has a symbol of obels on it, and the other has a symbol of a pomegranate.
4: Pom,
5: pom, pom, pom,
2: pom, 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 pom,
0: pom,
5: pom. Um I agree, yes, pom. I do want to raise a query if if we are attempting to escape for realsies this time, which I presume we are, yes. Perhaps, you know, once we get acquainted with a number of the gods, if we find we really love one, maybe we should try throwing them some nectar, see? I think (laughs)
4: Havestus... All right.
5: I'm sure there are plenty we've yet to see, but I would like to start cultivating some relationships, see what wisdom they can offer us.
4: I'll be honest with you. I do not trust the others. They cast him off Olympus. That's a fair point.
1: Well, I mean, it was more Hera than... Well, Mom. just something
5: to keep in mind. I don't think we need to stress about it right now, but, you know... Of course. Conversation worth having. Pom? Anyone? Anyone
2: up for some palms? I like a good palm.
3: I'm in for the palm.
2: Alexander, go collect that palm. Yes. As you do that, It's motion activated, so a little green light activates and the door slides open.
4: Oh. (laughs) Well, you know, that's convenient, but it's not as fun,
3: is it? Arete will hold out his hand to Annie in a gesture of, let us enter the portal together.
1: Oh, that reminds me! And Annie's gonna, like, reach into her back pocket and pull out the feather duster that Dusa had given her, and she wants to give it to Arete. Arete, I, um, I told I wanted you to, I wanted you to be in charge of, um, this. Um just seeing as you've been like the keeper of uh, all of our winnings and such. And also because I have, I got that really um, nice gift from Orpheus. Look, look, I've turned it into a bracelet. And she's gonna like show her wrist and show that she's tied the coil around her wrist all cutely and be like, isn't it, I, I think it's cute.
3: That's really cute, Annie. oh Thanks.
1: So here, if you wanna hold on to the feather duster for us and be in charge of that. Sure, thanks.
2: Shall we? And Arete will guide her through the portal. <laughs> All right, Annie enters the portal with inspiration. Rogue Runners, Volume 1, In the Blood, stars our players Nicholas Venetatos as Alexander the Great, Amanda Facosta as Anastasia Pentazes, Giancarlo Herrera as Rolf Yannick, and Michael Pisani as Arete Lascares. Dungeon mastering and NPC voices are by me, Tozaman. Cover art by Chandler Candela. Audio editing by Daniel Manning. Sound design and editing by Giancarlo Herrera. Title music by Sage GC with vocals by Jessica Dahlgren and Sage GC. Character theme music by Giorgio Volpe. Additional music by Epidemic Sound. Transcription by Eli Barasa. If you liked what you heard, we hope you'll consider helping us make future tabletop parodies of your favorite stories. You can support us at Patreon on patreon.com/slash Radio. Patrons get access to our community Discord channel, as well as our behind-the-scenes chatcast Out of the Blood, where we talk about everything on our minds after the episode. There are free ways to support the show too. We hope you'll leave us a glow review on your listening app of choice as well as spread the good word about us on twitter and instagram where you can follow us at rogue run radio we love hearing from you so head us up there or email us at rr at whisperforge.org we're very proud to be in the whisperforge collective and hope you'll check out our other shows get ready to run with us soon new episodes drop every two weeks till next time sinners i'll see you in hell
1: The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish.
5: In a world of covert culinary criminal coalitions,
4: Jean-Carlo, Oui chef, reformed criminal and celebrity chef Butch Orson, prepare the brigade, Oui chef, is dragged back into the dark realm of criminal kitchens.
5: Behind, when old rivals threaten his life's work, corner Butch is brought back.
3: <coughs>
0: hot. No, 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 no. For one.
5: <coughs> last. <coughs> cook. Open Pandora's oven.
0: Yes, yes chef. chef.
5: John Wick meets Hell's Kitchen in Yes Chef. A comedic actual play adventure of kooky culinary combat, refried revenge, and untold gastronomic horrors. Yes, Chef is out now on the Dungeons and Drimbus podcast feed. Buty! A genuine pleasure to see ya! <laughs>